Today's Bible reading will come from Galatians 3, verses 1 to 14. You foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing, if in fact it was for nothing? So then, does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing what you heard? Just like Abraham, who believed God, and it was credited to him for, his, for righteousness? You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham, who had faith. For all, the, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, because it is written, Everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now, it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. Good morning, church. How are we? That's good. For those who don't know me, I'm Josh, and I'm currently serving at Manavlin as a youth worker, uh, as well as undergoing my Bachelor of Theology at MST and RTC. Um, and this week is Pulpit Swap, if you haven't heard already, or know what that means. All the pastors in the denomination kind of switch around for a week, so get to see different churches. and. Um, you're probably expecting Lucas, but unfortunately, Lucas, who's our senior pastor at Mount Evelyn, has his sister's wedding this weekend, so he has asked me to fill in his place and send his apologies as he was looking forward to meeting you guys. But it is an honour to be here and to uh, open God's word with you. I don't take this uh, as something lightly. I take it as great pleasure. And so today we're going to be looking at justification and um, for us as Christians, that means being made right in the eyes of God and what that looks like. Um, and so before we start, how about I pray? Because I need God's help to honour his word and you guys need his help to be able to hear clearly what his word has to say. Yes, Lord, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you that we're able to gather as the body of Christ, Lord. Lord, we thank you for this time where we're able to worship you lord we thank you for this time we were able to dive deeper into your word as a family we're able to be encouraged and fix our eyes on you 
Lord, I pray this morning that you can be with me. Lord, help me to honour your words. And Lord, help me to speak clearly what, um, yeah, the meaning that Paul had to the letter to the Galatians. And Father, I also pray um, for us today, those sitting in the seats, Lord, help them to hear what you have to say through your word, Lord. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen. So growing up, as you guys might also share with me in this experience, I grew up in a more conservative background. And because of that, I was convinced when I was younger that people with tattoos weren't going to heaven. I'm sorry if you got tattoos here this morning. Um, But I also believed that those who didn't come to church weren't going to heaven Those who played footy on a Sunday weren't going to heaven. I wanted to play footy, but I wasn't allowed to. Um, And all these different things, I thought, enabled people to not enter into heaven. And now my parents didn't believe this at all. But growing up as a curious young boy, when I asked these questions that weren't particularly encouraged because of different reasons... My parents would sometimes say, that's not what we do, or Christians don't do that. And because of this, I kind of took that as gospel into saying that this is not how Christians live. And because they were generalizing their answers and preferences, I took these answers as laws for how one ought to live. And although I sang John 3.16 over and over again in Sunday school, as most kids do, I thought there must be more to being made right before God than just believing. And so I constantly thought, what is it that identifies us as Christians? What is it that makes us right before God? And this type of thinking links similarly to what the new believers in the Galatian churches believed. These Galatian churches are... Uh, suggested to be mainly Jewish church plant from Paul and Barnabas's first missionary journey in Acts 13. However, this church who had heard the good news of Christ's death and resurrection were deserting the gospel for what Paul calls in Galatians 1 a false gospel. Now, they were deserting the gospel due to a problem. And Paul states this problem at the start of the letter. These, they had troublemakers in their midst. And these imposters changed the gospel into a gospel with strings attached. And although, um, and although it still had some of our gospel elements, it was really no gospel at all. Now, these troublemakers are often coined as Judaizers who combined some aspects of the gospel with the old Jewish law and customs. And we see some examples of this, such as circumcision and uh, observation of special days that Paul mentions. But we can assume due to Paul's strong tone that it probably went a bit deeper than this. And although they weren't necessarily enforcing the whole Jewish law, enforcing a portion of it meant that they were focusing on a salvation that was based on works rather than by faith. And now the church that Paul is personally planted and responsible for was treating the gospel like a fad. And Paul is frustrated. I'd go as far to say that this is 
Paul's strongest letter, or ang- not angry, but um, frustrated letter is probably a good word. And our text today from Galatians 3, um, yeah, Paul does not hold back and talks about this perverted legalistic gospel that they were believing. And Paul addresses this issue in two ways. First, arguing from a point of experience and then moving on to an argument on scripture. And so first we'll look at our argument based on experience. And so starting from verse 1. He says, You foolish Galatians, who has put a spell on you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? We see here Paul confronts the Galatian church with a bunch of rhetorical questions, calling them to reflect upon their own experience. These questions are very intentional, as Paul's already stated in the previous chapter that the law cannot bring about salvation. But here, he's he's not just restating this truth to the Galatians, but he's rather making them come to that conclusion based on their own experience. Paul starts by reminding them when they first heard the gospel, how clearly it was portrayed to them, and that they believed in the truth, they received the Holy Spirit. But Paul asks them a question that they very well know the answer to, saying, did you receive this spirit by your deeds or by believing? And after he asks the means behind the start of their Christian journey, he then addresses the means behind the journey of their Christian um, life by saying, after beginning by means of spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? The Galatians that believe this message receive the Holy Spirit and now been confused because these troublemakers in the church had made them abandon this gospel that they heard from Paul, seeking salvation through their own efforts. And Paul writes, have you experienced this for nothing? Have you received this good news for nothing if you keep going about this way? Because they treated the gospel as if it was a temporary trend and they had moved back to their old ways of living because it suggested that this was a Jewish church plant. Paul is saying to them, was Christ enough or not? He either was the perfect atonement or he wasn't. You cannot believe in both things. Paul knows that if they answer these questions honestly and properly, they'll see that they need to abandon this false gospel because it doesn't make much sense if Jesus died for nothing. You see, Paul's use of this spirit and flesh terminology in these verses is a beautiful comparison between the Old Testament, uh, sorry, between the Old Covenant and the new one which Jesus has put in place. Being under the Old Covenant, people would go a physical indicator of circumcision. However, under the New Covenant, to be a believer meant having the Holy Spirit dwelling within, 
a circumcision of the heart. And this contrast is important because despite talking about deeds, he's also showing the Galatians that the old is done away with because of Jesus. It is as, it is as if the novelty of the gospel wore off to the Galatian church, just like it does for us when something gets old or when something becomes used. The Galatians were probably caught up in the freshness of this good news, but when the novelty wore off and someone second-guessed their belief, they were quick to go back to their old ways. Because surely you can't be saved by faith. Nothing is ever free. In order to be justified, surely I need to work for it. Surely I've got to obey some rules. I wonder if you remember when you first believed in Christ as your saviour, how maybe you felt so confident, excited, filled with joy, making a life-changing decision with an assurance like no other, only for months later or maybe days later to think, am I really saved by faith? I think I speak on behalf of all of us here and I say we've probably all experienced this question at some point in our faith journey. I think we can also get lost in this tricky topic of sanctification or being made perfect through the Holy Spirit, assuming that sometimes the start of our Christian life, justification and salvation is by faith, but sanctification is about striving really hard to please God. As if Jesus has done his part, now it's up to us to keep paying so that we can keep our justification and our salvation. As if our salvation is like a Netflix subscription where the first month is free, but then you've got to put in your credit card details, you've got to keep paying. It's not the case at all, is it? Paul goes on to show us that having faith and believing in the promises of God is enough for our justification in the eyes of God. And he does this by transitioning to an argument based on Scripture. Moving on from talking about experience, he further explains this, and he says in verse 6 onwards, So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything in the book of the law. Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So we see here Paul introduces Abraham into his argument behind why one is justified by faith and not by means of the law. 
And this reference from verse 6 is from Genesis 15. And to quickly refresh us on some Genesis, because I'm sure some of you maybe haven't read it in a while, like myself. God has told Abraham to leave his home country, and he's promised him land, a great nation, and a great name. And he states in Genesis 12 that all families will be blessed through Abraham. However, we see that Abraham is worried in Genesis 15 and possibly doubting this promise of God. And so it says in Genesis 15, 2-6, Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Remember, Abram and Sarah promised a child. They were getting old. They were doubting the promises of God. But at the very end, it said that when he believed the Lord, he counted it to him as righteousness. And Paul reminds the Galatians of Abraham in this letter, someone who is highly respected in the eyes of the Jews. He points out that when Abraham believed in the promises of God was when it was counted to him as righteousness. Not just because he believed in God, for we know he already believed in God. He'd already talked with God in Genesis 12. But rather, he believed also in the promise that God had said to him. That did not mean that Abraham knew what the, how the promise was going to pan out. But rather, he trusted and had faith that God was going to be faithful to what he said he would do. And God saw that faith and accredited it to Abraham as righteousness. And that's what believing is. That's what faith is. Not just believing God exists, but rather believing God's promises and what he's done. Paul is pointing out that acceptance from God based solely on one's faith is as old as Abraham. He draws on how the gospel message is one that continues to be in sync with God's character in the Old Testament, in the Torah, which they knew so well. He makes this link between Abraham's righteousness and justification. Abraham's blessing to all families and the welcoming of Gentiles to God's family. Abraham lived in a time where the law had not yet been established. So he had to hold to that faith and trust in God and his faithfulness to his promises. And Paul calls the Galatians to do the same. Trust the promise of salvation that the gospel brings. But Paul states the Galatians were under a curse because they'd under a spell because they'd fallen under the curse of the law. It says in Galatians 3, verse 10, which we just read out, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. All who rely on the works of the law. When one relies on something, it is their make or break. Something that they put a lot of confidence in. 
You guys are putting confidence in those chairs, probably subconsciously, to hold you up off the ground. I'm putting confidence in my car to drive me back to Mount Evelyn. We wouldn't say that we, have, that we rely on something if we don't have confidence in it. And he says here, all who rely on the works of the law, all who have confidence in the law are under a curse. Because this curse led them to hold assurance in something that was never supposed to bring justification. We see that the law actually often brought curses where we see faith only bring blessing. These Galatians were relying on the works of the law. Paul tells them that no one can be justified by this. This is because while faith points us towards Jesus and his works, the law can only point us towards ourselves and our works. And Paul reminds them that those who rely on the law bring this curse upon themselves in their own life because they've missed the greatest truth of all. It is evident throughout Paul's letter that the centrality to this passage is grounded in Christ and his display on the cross. Paul starts and finishes this section that we just read, looking and reminding them of Jesus' sacrifice by hitting the Galatians with the ultimate truth, which they were so quick to desert. When people were executed in the Old Testament, it was normally by stoning. But when someone was hung on a tree, it was seen as divine rejection. And in Deuteronomy 21-23, it says that anyone who dies this way is cursed, someone who is not considered righteous in the slightest. And Paul makes that connection with the Galatians because they would have been familiar with that by reminding them that Jesus became that curse in our place. He became that curse so that we might be freed from it. We won't be under the curse of the law anymore. So that all who build their life and rely upon Christ in faith, believing that his atonement was enough, will be justified and saved through him alone. We may be quick to see the flaws in the Galatians theology, but when we reflect on our own life, on our own church, we can sometimes fall into this trap too. I know I can. We accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, but similarly to how they neglected the truth of justification in the place of their own laws, we as churches can also let our so-called laws or our standpoints determine our view of salvation whether that be attending church every week, tithing every week, being in a growth group, going to the working bee, whatever that looks like. Whenever we get caught up in these things, we can easily find ourselves becoming legalistic and lost within a system that forgets the heart of the gospel, where we forget that it's not up to us. Tithing, attending church, Growth groups, working bees, these are great things. I encourage you to do them. I'm not saying don't do them. Our deeds and actions are important, but not when it comes to our salvation. But when we depend on the things we do is when we start to lose sight and become like 
the Galatians who are under a curse. When we depend on deeds, we believe in a pseudo-type salvation where we believe that we are good enough to save ourselves when clearly it is dependent on Christ alone. When we believe that, we enter into this beautiful promise that Paul talks about starting way back with Abraham. We sung about it just before. We are children of the promise. When we live by faith, we really do believe that. So often we can know that our best efforts won't save us, but we still live and think as if our good deeds define our salvation status. Because we like to take ownership. I know I like to take ownership. We don't like charity. We, don't, we take great pride in earning something. But we can't let our pride get in the way of our salvation. Maybe it's worth reflecting after this message, what is your bottom line that you rely on? Do you let your assurance of salvation come from faith in Christ or do you sometimes forget? Like myself, like the Galatians. Now let me be clear that some of you might come up to me after the service and have an issue because James says in his letter the importance of works for one's salvation. But two quick differences that I'll note uh, for those having this dilemma. One is that both of these letters are addressing totally different people. One is addressing people that are putting their confidence in the law, like we just read. James is focusing on people who say they're Christians, but are still, like on the back of the book, the booklet that um, I got given this morning, we don't live as unsaved. And that's the people that James is talking to in his uh, book. But Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So church, let us not be complacent and come to a point where we're accursed like the Galatians. But rather, let us be aware on a daily basis that our salvation is through Christ alone. And our relationship with God is grounded in faith. And that faith is trusting in God that he will be faithful to his promise. The promise of the gospel, the promise of salvation, the promise that was given to Abraham back in Genesis 15. If we believe and trust in that, we shouldn't need to worry about our deeds because they'll be a natural byproduct of our faith being lived out, of the gratitude that we have towards such a gracious God. But when we stand on judgment day, holding on to our deeds, is when we undermine the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus paid for each one of us in order that we may be reconciled with God. And so why don't we pray this morning and then we're going to go into discussion groups. Yes, Lord, thank you for your word, your truth. Lord, thank you that you speak through your word, Lord. Thank you that your word is good for teaching. Lord, thank you that we are able to read this word and apply it to our lives. Lord, that we're able to continue to fix our eyes on you when we see these words. Lord, I pray this morning for myself and for everyone in this room, help us to not lose sight 
of the grace that you bought for us at the cross. Lord, help us to remember that our salvation, our justification, Lord, comes from you alone. Not by anything we try to do. Lord, not by how many sins we've done in our life, not by how many good deeds we've done in our life, but it's only by you, only by Christ alone. Lord, I pray as we often slip into this mentality of earning and accomplishing um, these things, Lord, help us to repent quickly and help us to refocus our eyes on you whenever we forget this. Lord, and help us to continue to live by faith and that our deeds may not be a product of wanting to prove ourselves, a product of pride, but Lord, may our deeds be a product of faith knowing that it's only through you that we are saved. So, Lord, we thank you for this gracious gift. We thank you for your love, your goodness. And we pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen.